Hello and welcome fans. Are you ready for the brand new season? Actually, season one debut episode of Tyler's Take, the podcast hosted by yours truly, the golden voice Southern boy, Tyler Peters from the Music City, Nashville, Tennessee. We're going to be discussing, or I should say I'm so used to co-hosting other podcasts. The discussion is going to be about WWE SummerSlam 2002. Actually, you just know it as SummerSlam 02. But I'm back better than ever, baby. And you know it. And what an all-star card this was, featuring all your favorite superstars from Kurt Angle, Brock Lesnar, The Rock, Rey Mysterio Jr., Edge, the rated R superstar, a lot of Hall of Famers in this one, or future Hall of Famers, I should clarify, when having the conversation about WWE SummerSlam. And it took place in New York, actually Uniondale, New York, to be exact, not Madison Square Garden like you might have thought, Knowing the McMahon lineage and history to Madison Square Garden, going back to Vincent Kennedy McMahon's father, Vincent James McMahon, also his grandfather, Roderick McMahon, when they promoted professional boxing bouts as well as professional wrestling matches slash sports entertainment, as they've dubbed it. They fiend their style of wrestling when uh, mentioning the WWE. But we're going to take a look back. It's nostalgia at its finest, even though it's the early 2000s. Nearly 20 years as we are presently, current day, in 2022, this new year. And I love the storylines that drove a kind of show as we're discussing with SummerSlam. With Raw and SmackDown being the separate brands. Also, it was the 15th annual SummerSlam pay-per-view event produced by World Wrestling Entertainment. This was the ruthless aggression era. It was so fun and so exciting, I must say. The fan of me really got pumped up and just stoked. The crowd was electric. It was on fire for the hottest party of the summer. You can tell in my tone of voice how jacked I was for this show. If only I was jacked as far as my physique, but there was plenty of that going around for the superstars of the WWE. They had great physiques, did they not? Somebody help me. I'm a little bit scared. I'll give you a little bit of comedic relief. Why not? But the venue was Nassau Veterans Memorial Coliseum in Uniondale, New York. Sunday, August 25th, 2002 was the date in history and infamy. And we just talked about the aforementioned statement of both Raw and SmackDown being their own separate brands. Raw was the flagship show for so long going back, dating back to the Attitude Era, and now Ruthless Aggression Era. SmackDown had also been prevalent in the late 90s, going into the early 2000s, representing a change of the guard. And we know The Rock and Brock Lesnar main event, and we know about Shawn Michaels taking on HBK in an unsanctioned street fight. We're going to talk all things about the All-Stars that were involved in this premier card, this spectacular event. This is extravaganza, as the late, great Gorilla Monsoon would state many times on commentary for this very company. I don't mean to sound redundant, but it's true, it's true, in honor of Kurt Angle. So Kurt Angle defeated Rey Mysterio in the first match. I'm going to add a little context to some of my takeaways, just some quick highlights regarding that very match. So let's discuss it, shall we? 
Kurt Angle, legit Olympic gold medalist, won, you know, an Olympic gold medal with a broken freaking neck. True story, because he says it's true. It's true, as I stated before. Him and Rey Mysterio Jr. had great chemistry. Both told just a beautiful, wonderful story inside the ring. I love the way it, it started out with Rey Mysterio Jr. using the top ropes, doing and utilizing a sneak attack on Kurt Angle. It was just something to behold. It really stood out to me. I can only speak for me, but it's my perspective, okay? Just bear with me. But I love the transitions between wrestling maneuvers, the holds, meaning submissions, in case you're not familiar, maybe you're not a wrestling fan. Let me try to educate you as best I can from my vantage point for this very podcast. But that was just such a, a stellar matchup. And I want to go into more details about it between Kurt Angle and, and Rey Mysterio Jr. and take you back a little bit. What I liked about it is Kurt Angle had caught Rey Mysterio Jr. in what looked to be the Angle Slam, but Rey countered with that arm drag. You talk about just amazing transitions. I'm just going to have to go back to that word that I used before when talking about between moves. It was just something astounding is another term I could think to borrow when explaining, describing the action, what I was watching as a viewer, as a fan. So Kurt Angle defeated Rey Mysterio Jr. in another fantastic bout. What a match it was. It was just awesome. And then we're going to go to our next match. We've got Ric Flair defeated Chris Jericho, Y2J. One of my favorite incarnations of Chris Jericho's gimmick, the character. I loved it. I thought it was just unbelievable. Much like the match was just unreal between Jericho and the Nature Boy, Ric Flair. I'm partial, one of the greatest ever, if not the GOAT, greatest of all time is what it stands for. And something I've missed about these type of matches is the buildup. The story, the video packages by WWE, is they're just incredible. They're all inspiring They're top-notch, a high level, if you will. Those Ric Flair chops never get old. They're so intense. I love them. I thoroughly enjoyed that. This was one of my favorite versions of Jericho I just mentioned. Y2J, two great in-ring workers working extremely hard. The exchange wherever Chris Jericho would do a great move, Flair defended it with a chop and would just stay aggressive. One thing I, t- I took to heart was that Jericho was acting more like Ric Flair than even Ric Flair in this match. That was something interesting, very intriguing and fascinating when going back reviewing these type of pay-per-view cards when referring to SummerSlam 02. And, of course, Rick is the dirtiest player in the game, though at the end he catches Jericho with a low blow followed by a figure four leg lock, of course, and that's how he beats Y2J, Chris Jericho. Also, I got a little ahead of myself. I love Stephanie McMahon as the SmackDown general manager and Eric Bischoff, Easy e as the Raw general manager. Both are just great heels, condescending attitudes, very arrogant. Both had just tremendous chemistry representing 
and standing up and sticking up for their individual shows when talking about both Raw and SmackDown. That's something else that I just I missed about the whole storytelling, the angles back then, and it's hard to believe I'm, I'm saying back then when it's just 2002 we're talking about, but we're already in 2022, folks, so come on. Heyman with Brock Lesnar, Paul Heyman, that, that is, let me specify, was just pure gold magic. They fit together so perfectly, and Brock beating Hulk Hogan, the megastar from the 80s back when it was WWF, just gave him that legendary rub as the established mega global superstar to this up-and-coming beast incarnate Brock Lesnar when he faced The Rock for that undisputed, that WWE undisputed championship. Let me re-clarify my statement. I'm just getting so excited and I'm passionate. You can tell by the tone of my voice as I'm just talking about it. But I love the OVW stars that got called up. They gave us the John Cena's, the Randy Orton's. They gave us the Shelton Benjamin's, the Batista's, and the Brock Lesnar's, and so much more, so many more, actually. And it's it's unreal. I mean, I'm going to sound redundant on some of these words the way I use them, but that's the truth. I, I can't help myself. But Edge defeating Eddie Guerrero, watching these pay-per-views, gosh, Eddie went. Way too soon he passed away is what I'm meaning. Edge was coming into his own as a single, getting a well-deserved push. Push, I mean, much-deserved push. Let me get my words out. By wrestling with Guerrero, Edge becomes a made man. Guerrero had tremendous balance combined with fluid movement in everything that he did. Edge complimented Eddie so much. Eddie attacked the shoulder part of the storytelling aspect of pro wrestling. It speaks to more experience over Edge. Also, Edge seemed to be the guy who WWE relied on and knew this is a person who could work with anyone, and he knew how to get over with the people. He was very popular, which was the rated R superstar and Hall of Famer Edge. Edge had the fight to get back control of the match, and a spear by Edge defeats Eddie Guerrero. WWE Tag Team Championship match featured the Tag Team Champions, the Un-Americans, just a dynamic duo featuring Christian and Lance Storm battling Tess. Actually, they were aligned with Tess, excuse me, defeating Booker T and Goldust, just another awesome tandem. And they retained those tag titles for the WWE. A fantastic heel promo in the segment prior to the matchup helped us understand why the fans just hated this team. They're disdain, they're dislike, right? For these un-Americans, it was very reminiscent of all those anti-American villains prior to, to when the match got underway. I like the dynamic with Goldust and Booker as a team. Goldust is so underrated. I'm also a big fan of Storm and Christian also. Booker and Goldust work smoothly as a team, keeping their opponents over in their corner. Just classic tag team wrestling. Christian got involved on the outside of Goldust. That gets heat from the fans. So smartly done, so wisely done at that. While the referee's back is turned to see, for me, when it's done right, it's very effective. That's an element missing today. Booker T was fun to watch. I was a big fan of his going back to the WCW days. He just kept getting better here with the WWE. And Lance Storm can hold his own with anybody psychology-wise, just fundamentals. He was a very good technical wrestler. He just added so many layers and dimensions when 
referring to a match of this magnitude. And Tess interferes with a big boot to Booker T and Christian pins Booker. So, still, your tag team champions and winners are the Un-Americans, Lance Storm with Christian and, of course, with the assistant. Or the assistants, I should clarify and say, let me get my words out here, fans. Got the assist by test. The back and forth segments just keep coming. The hits keep coming with Stephanie and Bischoff for pure gold. And we talked about their chemistry as on-screen rivals relating to their characters overall were just so good. was amazing. RVD defeats Chris Benoit, becoming the new WWE Intercontinental Champion. It's surreal watching a Chris Benoit match again. RVD possesses awesome striking ability with his kicks. Benoit can execute a more submission-style offensive approach, but still come off the top ropes. Benoit brought so much intensity in everything that he did. RVD, with his unique and innovative style of offense, also brought excitement to matches. Both guys were hitting hard. The Crippler crossface countering the Rolling Thunder was a nice spot. Van Dam could create out of nowhere whether he's coming off the top rope or just doing a kick somehow. Five-star frog splash by RVD. Mr. Monday Night was all she wrote or he wrote, however you want to say it. And new Intercontinental Champion is RVD, defeated Benoit. That's why I'm going to go over that point, stress that point again. The Undertaker defeated Tess. This was not a bad match for what it was. Two big men. It was more of a brawl style, a fighting style. As much as I love and respect the older Undertaker gimmick, this uh, biker gimmick by Taker was more of who he really was, his personality. And I love him riding on the motorcycle. He's always been intimidating, like we talked about, a larger-than-life persona in and outside the ring. This was true to Mark Calloway, the man behind the Undertaker persona and gimmick. Tess passed away too young. That was another thing. So many talented superstars that just their lives were cut short by, you know, some wrong choices, but still very sad. Uh, Tess was another guy that I think was just too green at the time, but had so much potential. He just needed to get more polished. He had the look. He was a little bit rushed. What I mean by having the look, he had the size and the visual. The presentation was all impressive. It was, of course, more of a brawl than scientifically a sound style of match. And Tess as a heel made sense with Storm and Christian. I thought that was a great combination or actually a triple threat with having Test, Storm, and Christian align, that alliance with the Un-Americans. Tess honestly did both well, whether he could be that babyface or heel persona. A big opportunity to wrestle Taker. They matched up well, and paying attention to their height, they were actually pretty close, almost even at times, at least the way the camera angles looked, or appeared anyways. But Undertaker delivering that old school from the top rope never gets old. If Do you get that? That was some bad comedy. But it makes sense. It's logical, is it not? And walking that top rope, that tight, that tight rope, excuse me, the Tombstone Pal Driver by Taker, and the Dead Man wins over Test. Probably easily one of my favorite matches, though, was when Shawn Michaels defeated Triple H in an unsanctioned street fight. 
The story of best friends turned bitter enemies with, with Triple H turning on him on a prior Raw and another Raw saw Triple H hitting Sean with all the elements for a marvelous fight. Once again, I go back to story between these two just protégés, friends that became bitter foes. People can say what they want about HBK, about his attitude, always performed at the top of his game, no matter what kind of backstage politics or personal drama was occurring at that time or at the time. Let me kind of re-edit my own speech. Nobody can argue that the quality of in-ring work over the years in wrestling as it pertains to HBK is truly incredible. The work ethic, the cardio, you can factor in so much to what made Shawn Michaels one of the all-time greats as far as in-ring, out-of-the-ring, just pure wrestler. Just amazing. I'm going to sound redundant with the words again. Yes, I know. Reoccurring theme. Just stay with me. I understand that. Triple H, you know, I never really got or appreciated the game's greatness till later. Don't get me wrong. Though he was good, I never put him in the same category as a Bret Hart or a Shawn Michaels or even a Ric Flair. However, he proved to me and so many fans and his, his critics, they were wrong. The game is a masterful worker. Sean goes after Triple H to begin this fight. It's not actually a wrestling match. In a sense, it is, but it's more of a fight. Sean did not waste time in taking flight, catching Triple H off guard, as he has many of his opponents over the years. HBK fighting the cerebral assassin was very intense. The physicality was on the Richter scale at 10. Triple H is the ultimate opportunist fighting weaknesses in his opponents, including Shawn Michaels. He took the trash out using the trash can to take out Triple H, did HBK, the heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels. The game targeted HBK's back. He knew he had past injuries, true story, and it told a story, speaking of which, by the commentators, Jim Ross and Jerry the King Lawler, relaying those facts about Shawn Michaels' back. Triple H displayed disrespect against anyone. It didn't matter who it was. The game knows how to use weapons, case in point, using the steel chair on Shawn Michaels. Shawn fought from underneath. That made a lot of sense. Triple H was more methodical, and that DDT on the chair spot was vicious. Triple H whips HBK with his own belt. We see a lot of color, meaning blood. With Michaels bleeding in the forehead, this match, I feel, does not get enough credit for how good it truly was. A sledgehammer, who knew, right? With Triple H sledgehammers and the game go hand in hand, they go together. And Michaels won't quit after taking all of this punishment from the cerebral assassin. Super kicked into the chair, courtesy of Michaels to Triple H as he held the steel chair in front of his face. Triple H has been busted open, bleeding. Sean whips Triple H with the belt, the table spot with Michaels coming off the top. Crashing down on Triple H was just a magnificent spot. Jim Ross saying, good God almighty, never gets old. J.R. Jerry Lawler were so good, especially during this era and going back to the Attitude Era on Raw. Wherever they were used, pay-per-views, it didn't matter. Put them anywhere. They were the best. Michaels rolls up Triple H after an attempt at a pedigree, and it would be the heartbreak hit. Shawn Michaels would go on to beat Triple H the game. And after the match, 
Triple H would brutally attack Shawn Michaels with that sledgehammer. Michaels gets carried away in a stretcher. That was a fun matchup. Also, the segment after, we see the late great Howard Finkel, the Fink, as a heel. He is truly committed to his character, his on-screen persona here. Trish Stratus comes out. Buddy, is she hot, but she's also a great wrestler. Trish had to be a favorite of mine. I think everybody growing up had a poster or was downloading her pictures. I'm going to be honest. Lillian Garcia, the ring announcer at the time, slaps Finkel and kicks him in his lower regions. I'll just uh, say that. But that was a fun little ha-ha moment and segment. And then this is what we came to not only see but have the discussion about our main event for the WWE Undisputed Championship match. Brock Lesnar defeated the Rock, the people's champion, the most electrifying superstar in all of sports entertainment, all of wrestling, to become the new WWE Undisputed World Heavyweight Champion. The next big thing versus the people's champion, he won the King of the Ring when referring to Lesnar, and the fact that Brock was a rookie is astounding to me. He was pushed so fast, and you see why, to have a match against the Rock, who's the established star. Brock had already beat Hogan. We Briefly mentioned that earlier on in the podcast before being in this match. Love the training montage videos. Reminds me reminiscent of the Rocky films. Classic stuff. Was shown before the match transpired and occurred. Rock ran in the, into the ring only to get a belly-to-belly -belly suplex. We were seeing early signs of Suplex City, baby. Channeling my inner Dickie V, Dick Vitale. If you know anything about college basketball or a lot of the sports that are shown, especially on ESPN, you'll know who Dick Vitale is. And Brock was throwing around the rock impressively, is what I came up with, a, a word, a term to, to borrow or use. Paul Heyman with a cheap shot to the rock was just pure genius. How good and still great is Paul Heyman today? Come on. He's still the advocate for Brocker. Is he the uh, the tribal council for the tribal chief? Acknowledge me, you know, kind of a reference to modern-day, current-day wrestling, even though we're t going back to 2002. And Roman Reigns and the Rocker cousins. So that's what's interesting to think about. But Brock is so intense. Every move had something more to it, meaning it just had some off to it, some authority. Lesnar controlled this match early on. We talked about Suplex City was on full display here. The Rock would fight back. Lesnar just was too much, and Heyman kept helping his guy. Of course he did. Fans turned on The Rock. That was what I took away that was kind of puzzled me, but it just represented a different era, the ruthless aggression era. They were kind of getting tired of The Rock. And Lesnar was meant to showcase his abilities in the match. The champion has been dominated so far, Rock, was knocking down Brock, making his comeback. Rock punches Heyman. He gets back at the advocate, Paul Heyman. A sharpshooter by Rock. Breath of him and Hart would be proud. Was a plot executed to Lesnar. Fans were behind Brock. Lesnar targeted the injured ribs of the Rock with a steel chair, just nailing those ribs. Thanks to Paul Heyman distracting the referee. All those distractions again. Rock with a nice clothesline to Lesnar, laying the smack down on the beast. A rock bottom. 
the Heyman through the table, mixed reactions from the fans. I can't stress it enough. It was just unbelievable. Rock bottom to Lesnar, and he kicked out. Lesnar delivers a rock bottom on the rock, and he kicks out of the rock bottom. I like the twist the commentators put on there, and Lesnar with an F5. Of course, the Rock countered. He attempted the F5, I should say, and then Rock would hit the F5 this time to win the matchup and become your new WWE Undisputed World Heavyweight Champion. It was a passing of the torch, essentially, by the great one, the Rock, to Brock. So this is just so exciting to have covered and done my own little review of WWE SummerSlam 2002 for the debut episode, which is episode one, season one, starting fresh for Tyler's Take, the podcast. Also, reminder, if you'll recall, that's why I'm going to say it again to not only start the shows, but close out the shows. You want to listen to classic episodes, start out the new year, the new season of Tyler's Take, the podcast, this new version, then You've got to visit Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you can find Tyler's Take the Podcast. So I'm going to sign off saying goodbye for now, but I hope you've enjoyed this type of content. And I'm going to be discussing the films, music, a little bit of everything. The Golden Voice Southern boy Tyler Peters is back, and he's back with a vengeance. And you're going to be getting more Tyler's Take the Podcast and I look forward to uh, talking to y'all later. And I want to thank you, the listeners. But I'm finally saying goodbye for now. But I'm back. And it's better than ever. That's Tyler's Take, the podcast. We review WWE SummerSlam 2002.